evidence and scale. Now, a good idea will sell itself, right? Unfortunately not. Emerson was spectacularly wrong when he suggested that all you need to do was build that better mousetrap and have the world beating a path to your door. History's full of examples of innovations that once being good and proven solutions, more than just a gleam in their inventor's eye, stubbornly refused to scale. They failed to have impact on a widespread basis. Think about Earl Tupper and his alchemical miracle, creating an award-winning product out of the unpromising raw material of black sludge from oil refining waste. Tupperware eventually made it as an innovation which scaled, but it was only after Brownie Wise teamed up with him and pioneered the social marketing that brought that product into the homes of key influences. Or think about Toshiba, investing close to a billion dollars in the technology underpinning what they saw as the next generation of high-quality DVD recording, only to fall in the final straight as the market opted for the Sony Blu-ray system. Now, this was a fascinating echo of the story which Sony had encountered decades earlier when its Betamax videotape format lost the battle to the VHS standard, despite having many technical advantages over it. Or there's Better Place, an ambitious green startup that offered to make the world more sustainable by introducing battery swap technology. Despite raising a huge amount of venture finance and gaining the backing of world leaders and CEOs prepared to set up whole factories, the vision fell apart after three years. Now, these are not the failures of foolish and unprepared entrepreneurs. They all had much to offer and they'd proven their technologies worked. But they stumbled over one or other of the many rocks strewn in the way of those trying to make the journey to scale. There are plenty of them in the world of commercial innovation and in the field of social change, innovations designed to have an impact and change the world, it's even more difficult. Well, one of the challenges is around the role of evidence. At its simplest, we adopt new things because we see some benefit in them. They make our lives easier, more comfortable or better in some way. That's what gives rise to the S-curve shape, which you can find associated with any innovation. It isn't a case of all or nothing. Adoption takes time. And one of the key influences on that is the role of evidence. For early adopters, it's a matter of being convinced enough by data or demonstrations that the innovation has real advantages to offer. They're looking for hard and measurable facts to underpin their decision. But as we move along the road, diffusion becomes more of a social process as well. Because the more we see others getting benefit, the more we're prepared to take the risk. So shaping our perceptions of new things so that we adopt them sooner is a huge part of what advertising does. And it plays on our desire for evidence. Being persuaded, 
by facts, figures, demonstrations, simple observation, accelerates the process. Think about Washington Carver and his famous attempts to get rural farmers in the southern United States, who are a fairly sceptical breed, trying to get them to adopt new strains and methods. Simply giving them the hard facts wasn't enough. His success came when he could show that crops in his demonstration fields grew higher or thicker than those around. Seeing is believing, and it reminds us that evidence comes in many forms and can be communicated in different ways. It's also a matter of who's offering us the evidence. Can we trust it? Can we believe it? Can we trust them? The advertising industries played this tune for a long time, persuading us about the virtues of better toothpaste or headache pills by invoking the eminently trustworthy authority of medical practitioners, men and women in white coats. We also listen to key influences, opinion leaders whose perceptions we trust, and we're much more likely to adopt something if it's recommended by people like us. All of these factors shape the familiar S-curve pattern, which we see over the life of innovations, whereby adoption accelerates after the first wave. There's a kind of snowball effect with the accumulation of evidence, especially the experience of satisfied adopters, driving up the pace of adoption. Or not. Negative evidence or word of mouth can quickly stop an innovation right in its tracks. So, if we're concerned with trying to scale our innovation, it's worth looking a little more closely at the role evidence plays, at the monitoring and evaluation processes which build that evidence base, and how that evidence is communicated. We could do a lot worse than break down our review into some key question areas. Who, what, when, and how of scaling evidence. So, let's look at the who. Who needs evidence? Well, self-evidently, adopters. As we've seen, it's a key part of the innovation decision process. But we often use proxies, opinion leaders, to influence those decisions. Whether that's the Joneses we try to keep up with or our favourite social media influencer. Adoption's based on trusting others' judgement. And we assume that they have reviewed the evidence in coming to their decision, so we'll tend to follow them. Beyond that who, there's another group, investors. Whether it's donors funding social innovation or government promoting a new technology or individual investors in a crowdfunding campaign, those investors are looking for evidence to shape their behaviour. Is the innovation worth doing? Is there evidence of demand and potential impact? Is there evidence downstream of actual impact? And along the way, are the trends moving in the right direction? And afterwards, was that investment worthwhile? Was it done well? Could it have been done better? What have we learned? Now, these are all questions which require evidence. And then there's another who, the innovators themselves, the teams growing and hopefully scaling their innovation. Their core approach in coming up with their original solution will have been based on prototyping and experimenting, pivoting as they learn from the market what works and what doesn't. 
And that experimental learning cycle doesn't stop once the solution's established. If anything, the journey to scale requires even more of this pivoting and adaptation to suit different contexts and different situations on the scaling journey. So once again, what the team needs and why they're doing all those experiments and trying to learn what they need is evidence, information. Now, in the field of social innovation, there are other stakeholders we have to consider, all of whom will have an influence on whether or not an innovation can scale. So let's look at the what. What kind of evidence do we need? And in a world increasingly plagued by fake news and unreliable facts and figures, what constitutes good evidence? Now, there isn't one size fits all. Different players, as we've just seen, look for different kinds of evidence. Evidence is very much a matter of horses for courses. Of course, we're looking for evidence of impact, of relative advantage. How far is the new thing better than what it replaces? But in the field of social innovation, where donors and funders may be asking that question, there's also a need to provide evidence that the problem is important and that the right problem is being addressed. And also that the solution has real value for end users. Is there real advantage to that solution? And is it compatible with the context in which it's going to operate? And then there's also considerations of how well the solution is delivered. Now this involves reflecting and collecting data on the innovation process itself and how well that's working alongside the nature and experience of the solutions being offered. There's also something about the quality and reliability of the evidence we assemble. Now clearly our aim should be to provide proof, facts which can be verified, not for nothing does the healthcare sector place so much weight on randomized control trials as a gold standard to help determine whether a new medicine or treatment is effective or not. RCTs are all about assembling an evidence base of reliable and robust data. The trouble is that getting at good evidence is difficult, not least because there are so many different kinds of information we can assemble as evidence not least those vanity metrics which tell us that 20,000 people can't be wrong, because sometimes they can. And then there's the when question. When should we start to assemble our evidence base and when does it have most impact? Well, the simple answer is always, throughout the innovation and scaling journey. At the start of that journey, we want evidence to reassure us that there is potential demand, that our innovation will be solving a big enough and important enough problem, and that what we've developed represents a robust solution which is capable of being scaled. Without this to back up our claims, we're unlikely to get very far in trying to convince others to buy into or support our solutions. And then during the process, it's all about pivoting using evidence of success and failure to help shape and adapt our innovation to suit different contexts. In the social innovation field, the market might involve a number of different players, but the principle's still the same. We can use different kinds of evidence to help us get a better fit between innovation and context, which will increase our chances of successfully scaling it. 
Now, a simple example might be the case of Netflix. Early on in their innovation journey, Netflix realized that their entertainment supply model based on shipping DVDs by post was not the way to go in the future. Whilst that model worked, there was increasing evidence that people were turning to online streaming of music. And the same was likely to happen to video as high-speed internet bandwidth became available. So they pivoted to a streaming approach, learning with that newly emerging market, while at the same time maintaining their video by post approach. Contrary to popular myth, Blockbuster didn't simply plow on with its old bricks and mortar solution using shops as rental hubs. They saw the evidence of Netflix's successful new online model and developed their own solutions to emulate it, abandoning late fees, experimenting with online delivery and so on. The problem for them was that their wider value network, the other players in their game, had too much invested in the original model and were reluctant to let go. So in spite of the evidence, they couldn't change their business model with the resulting collapse eventually of their operations. But back to our when question. At the end of the process, there's an opportunity for collecting a different kind of evidence around learning. If we succeeded, why and what could we do more of next time? And if we failed, what can we change? Smart organizations concerned with learning to repeat the innovation trick develop routines, embedded patterns of behavior, which become the way we do things around here. These routines find their way into policies, procedures, processes, but not by accident. There's a need for post-project reviews, set-down meetings, other devices to capture evidence, to capture learning. Trouble is, particularly with projects that haven't gone so well, there's a tendency to cover up and disguise things, obscuring the evidence that we need so badly to help us improve next time. Which brings us to the question of how in evidence. How do we set up robust and flexible monitoring and evaluation so we can collect the different kinds of evidence needed by different stakeholders? So what frameworks and tools are available? What different approaches might be needed under different circumstances? Not surprisingly, there's no simple answer to this, but a clear need to put an evidence strategy into place at the outset of the innovation scaling journey. Since evidence will play such a key role, we need to allow time and resources and develop or bring in the expertise to work on this aspect of our project in parallel with rolling out our solution. And we need to think hard about how we communicate the evidence we acquire to a variety of different audiences. How do we build on good evidence to tell the innovation story? Adoption of innovation is a social process, which is accelerated or retarded by more than facts. It depends on perceptions and on social influence. That's a lesson which comes through repeatedly in the work of Everett Rogers, the godfather of innovation diffusion research, and it continues to play a key role according to current research findings. And it's also clear from the experience of would-be innovators trying to scale their innovations. Back to Tupperware, there was nothing wrong with Earl Topper's product innovation, except that no one was particularly interested in buying it. That all changed when he switched his marketing from in-store sales to doorstep selling. 
and in particular through that to the in-home party. Brownie Wise was one of the early demonstrators and quickly proved her facility at persuading homemakers to adopt the product. Her sales pitch was essentially around changing the way in which the core evidence that the product worked and was a viable, better food storage solution than traditional glass jars, but that this evidence was communicated and perceived differently. She had great attention grabbing skills. For example, one of her party tricks involved filling a Tupperware bowl with tomato soup and throwing it across the room where it landed, seal still intact and without spilling and staining the carpet. But she accompanied these tricks with a much more powerful approach, which was to engage the party hostesses as sales agents. Their source credibility, that's the degree of trust and respect in which they're held by their peers, meant that they were very powerful opinion leaders, able to accelerate innovation adoption across social networks. These days we'd call them influencers, but whatever the label, the way in which they could amplify the positive perception of the evidence played a key role in successful scaling. So the key lessons we should take from this are, first of all, scaling is not automatic. It's a long and difficult journey. But second, that evidence makes a difference. Evidence is what drives and accelerates or retards that S-curve around adoption. But we need to consider an evidence strategy. Not just we need evidence, but who's it for? and their different needs? What form can it take that will be convincing? How are we going to communicate the story? Now, innovation is what's helped us as a species, the human race, to survive and grow in what is still a very hostile, turbulent and uncertain world. But it hasn't been a matter of simply adopting, taking on every new idea because it's new. That's a very dangerous strategy, not least because many innovations are not good and they may take us in the wrong direction. We're actually quite cautious about adoption. We've evolved to be not risk averse, but certainly careful about the risks we take. And adoption is about a risk. So that really puts evidence absolutely center stage in terms of the adoption decision and spread out across a population is going to influence the scaling approach. So we really do need to think hard about this evidence question and develop a strategy to deal with it. Mm -hmm.